So right now, as we speak, this minute, this is going on. Oh, that's right. right. The State of the Union uh, is being delivered to who? Us. America. Joint session of Congress and Supreme Court. Very good. And the cabinet. Very good. Okay. He thought there were going to be valuable cash prizes. I didn't bring the valuable cash prize. iTunes gift card. But I could ask you, (laughs) but just as a quiz, which was the, what was the first, who, who's, State of the Union was the first to be broadcast on the radio. On the radio. Eisenhower. Eisenhower? Nope. Before then, earlier. Yeah, it's FDR. Um, no. Earlier. Wilson. Getting warm. Warmer. Warmer. Well, so Franklin? FDR? Some guy didn't talk too much. Silent Cal. Calvin Coolidge. Okay. Who was the first one on, the, on television? FDR. No, close. FDR. Close. close. Truman. Truman. First one um, delivered in the evening. LBJ, 65. First one on uh, World Wide Web. Clinton. Clinton. Very good. Yeah. You, if I had a prize, I'd give it to you for that one. That's very good. So, um, all to say, this is, a, this is a big deal. A lot of people, you know, the networks are going to be covering this for hours tonight. The president is setting forth what's going on. This is mandated by, Congress, uh, by the Constitution. Um, it, is, it is considered a big event every single year. <clears throat> and we elected to call our sessions the State of Your Union. And this is part two. I, and I, in fact, I finally remembered something I was gonna, a point I was going to make last week. The, it took you the, a week to remember? Yeah, the, it did. Okay. The concept that what happens around our tables, our kitchen tables, in our living rooms in our cars, in our families, ultimately matters more, especially multiplied out, than what happens in the State of the Union message. Most people will forget that message after it's over. But more importantly, you cannot affect how things happen in a country in a more powerful way than affecting what happens with families. If families are stable, if families are teaching values, if children are brought up in environments where they are loved and given limits, <clears throat> you're going to have a whole different outcome in a, in a church, in a community, in a nation, in the world than you are if that is not happening. No amount of law, no amount of government, no amount of programs, no amount of money can change that, can, can fix that for you. And, and if you don't believe that, uh, <clears throat> Spence, we, we are living kind of on borrowed time where we have had infrastructure and values in place for a long time and we are still the recipients of that a lot of that order but if you think about some of the crises we've had in recent years they are crises of values the how many of you have ever seen uh, there was a movie that won the best documentary a couple of years ago it was called inside job anybody see that it's about the financial meltdown of 2008, 2009, and how it happened. And it's fascinating. It's really very riveting. And the thing that you walk away with is understanding that that was not about economics as much as it was about a moral failure on a grand scale. It was a moral failure in the private sector and in the uh, academic sector and in government because people who had a certain value, which was I want what I want, and it doesn't matter what happens to anybody else, suddenly had control over vast amounts of money. 
and used them in ways that caused a terrific, you know, a tremendous, uh, we're still feeling it, uh, repercussions throughout the world, really. And those decisions would have been different, I think, if certain people had been taught certain values and, and believed them and acted on them differently. And it's all, it gets back to the kitchen table and what kids are taught and what happens in marriages. So I'm just saying that's a... Are we getting to the sex part yet? Yeah. So <laughs> the reason we, 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 one of the reasons we, we figured, well, the only way to compete with the State of the Union was to have a talk on sex. But um, so on that note, we want to just make one comment too about um, a reminder who, who designed sex. This is, a, this is a, an issue because, again, cult, the culture... The world we live in has, has taken sex, which God invented, for both the, for married couples to enjoy each other and to bond them together and to and reenact their unity and, and to create new human beings. And, it, and this is an area of great cultural and spiritual war. And it's an area that, of course, people are, are, feel... It, it, we have a, a, in fact, we have a couple of things. Well, first of all, I want to say, remember who designed sex. The, in, in, this is a, an old Wittenberg door thing, and it's hard to see this. It was a, their sex issue. It was a, it was a humor magazine in, back in the 70s. This is a couple in bed. There's arms and legs every which way, and there's Jesus over the thing with a blindfold on because he doesn't want to look at this, right? I mean, it, there's this feeling like, I think in, in the, amongst people who are, committed Christians and in other religious traditions there is a sense that God really kind of disapproves of sex he sort of tolerates it and that was taught for many hundreds of years God just sort of tolerates it. it's dirty it's nasty but well you got to do it to have kids and the idea that God actually invented this designed it meant it to be a, a superlative experience for a couple is sometimes lost in all the shuffle so a couple of things uh, this is called bad jokes what is that Oh, no. I know. You said you were going to take this out of the rotation. A paradox. <sighs> you get it? You See? don't laugh. Don't encourage him. Paradox. You Come don't on. get it? Paradox. A paradox. Of... Come on, you guys. Jeez. Yeah, this is why I keep saying, yeah, you got to take it out. So two paradox, just a, a reminder. If sex is so great, why do so many couples have trouble with it? If you ask... My wife, the counselor, what are the two things couples fight the most about? Number one? Money. Number two? Sex. Number three? Kids. Kids. Yeah, number four? In-laws, probably, right? Yeah, okay. Paradox number two? Oh, this is the couple that's saying. Okay, here's the paradox number two. Another paradox. Um, Sorry. This is, yeah, this is, this is, very a unique. We're in a unique time because sex is talked about more freely culturally than ever. I mean, you, those of us, those of us who were around when television was in black and white with seven channels, may recall that, uh, for example, I Love Lucy. You've all heard of I Love Lucy, very famous comedy. Lucy and and Ricky, married couple, were not allowed to be viewed. Their bedroom had twin beds. They did not want to show that. They thought it was too racy to, to show a single bed in their bedroom. Married couple. When Lucy got pregnant with little, little Ricky, the, they were not supposed to say pregnant. That was considered too 
too, too racy for network television. The, the best they could do was to say, they had Ricky say she was specting. She was specting. And so it went. And, and television and the general culture, if you think, those of you, most of you were not around before movie ratings began. But before about 1967 or 8, you could not go into a movie theater and hear bad language. You didn't see sex scenes except in, in maybe in, a, in some seedy place downtown. But the mainstream films didn't, you know, they, they hinted, they implied, they used all kinds of, of, of really more sophisticated ways of getting across things. But with, there, was a, there was a very significant cultural event that took place in the mid-60s where it was decided that these barriers should be broken down and things should be talked about more openly and films should, should talk about things plainly. And that has moved into television and things are said and portrayed on primetime networks that would have rated, been rated R when ratings first came out. And then, there, then, the, and then it's gone from there. So cable allows for greater expansiveness of things to be said and shown that you would have never imagined that are considered now mainstream. And then, of course, and so it is gone. It, you know, it used to take, again, if a guy wanted to see a dirty movie, he had to go put on a trench coat and drive downtown to some place, you know, called the Pussycat and see some stupid thing and, you know, and hope nobody recognized him. Now, of course, it's two mouse clicks away and anything in the entire pot, you know, things you don't even want to think about are available online and on demand and in your hotel. You go to the Marriott, you go to any major hotel change, chain. I think Marriott still allows that. Uh, unless you block it, uh, they, they have these adult channels. And so it goes. The, the irony is that everyone's talking, and these you know, things are talked about on the radio, they're talked about on the air, but it's very difficult for couples who are married to each other to talk about this subject to each other. It is a, it's one of these things that just, it just doesn't get talked about. And so you know, we've got, here's... Sex for dummies, you know, that's, there's Dr. Ruth, I'm sure you want to hear from her on this subject, uh, you know, um, this is uh, Cosmo, I mentioned this, uh, you know, Cosmopolitan, now this is just any random issue of Cosmo, you know, you're checking out, you got your dog food and your, you know, toilet paper, and here's this Cosmo, and it's always in the upper left corner, something about sex, bad girl sex, 70 very naughty moves to try on a man, there's always something like that. 50 things that'll drive him crazy. And, there's, and they never... It's always just, It's like they have that every month. It's like they, inv- they, they must invent 25 or 30 new things every month. I don't know how they're doing this. It's amazing. It's a miracle. I thought there it's was just that, one main move that... There's one, on and I, of course, I always said, that's stupid. There's just show one up. move. Show up. Okay? <laughs> just show up. Pay attention. You know, be present. You know, unbutton your you know, blouse. One thing. That'll be all. That's the only move you need. Um... <laughs> He'll go nuts. So, anyway, um, I'm going to turn this over to Terry, just to, just to, but just want to make this point. So, we will stay PG-13 here. Oh. Sorry. All right. We'll keep Children it safe. Okay. But we're going to talk about things that are of, of some very, very common scenarios. Yeah. Well, the reason, you know, I'm, my main beef with what's portrayed in the media is not so much that I'm, like, prudish or... Um, you know, it's mainly that the way sex is portrayed in media is that it is incorrect. And that, that's my main beef with it, is that it shows 
women to be um, libidinous, horny is what that means. Everyone's going to have someone ask me what that means, so I have to always say what it means. Libidinous um, throughout life. And that is a lie. And so what you see, it's talked about, it flashed around around a lot in, in the media, but it is not an accurate portrayal of the, the season to a woman's uh, libido. And that, that's just really frustrating. So let's talk about, you know, a, a typical situation. I mean, this may not fit all of you. This, is, this will fit most of you. Um, some of you had more unusual situations, maybe a, a more of a, you know, not the normal story. But the normal story is boy meets girl, boy likes girl, girl likes boy, eyes meet, you... Your eyes lock, and then your lips lock, and then everything locks, and everyone is excluded, and the job suffers, and, you're, and you're, you fall in love. And there's fireworks, and you talk until 4 a.m. every morning, and you, you bang up the rain gutter twice on each parent's car, uh, <laughs> trying to get out of her driveway from her little teeny tiny Santa Monica apartment. Who are you talking about? I'm talking about you. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, it's like when you first meet someone, you are endlessly fascinated with who that person is. It's like your whole universe is laser-focused on that person. And what you create is this, what you create together is this unbelievable universe in which you bring out the very best possible version of that person at that time. You're going to bring out the best possible version. Why? Because you're endlessly fascinated, complimentary. You're, you, everything, you know, everything he or she does is, is cute. Things that aren't so cute afterwards, right? And, and there's all this positive reinforcement. And it's a lovely, lovely re, uh, feed, uh, positive feedback loop. And, and I'm not uh, denigrating that. Because that's actually a very, very important clue. One of the, when I'm starting counseling with a, a couple, I'm, I'm very interested to know if that stage was there. Because even though we kind of smile at that stage, that first stage of romance where everything is perfect, you know, before you find out that the greatness you suspected was in the other person was a little embryonic, you know. So you, be, but that is an important glue. And I always hope that it's there. It's not that we can't work on a marriage, but it, that there's something that, ha- you know, if it wasn't there, but there's something that happens during that time that even though it is not a realistic way to conduct your relationship because, you know, you're not paying bills together, you're not trying to raise children together, you're going on dates, you're dressing up, you're taking bubble baths, you're getting ready, you're lighting candles, everything's perfect. What's not, what's not to like? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's perfect. And um, so... But, but what happens is, okay, so typical story, you know, we met, we were engaged six months later, and we were married six months after that, and then two months after that, I fainted in church. I was pregnant. <laughs> so much the five-year plan. And we went from intense, uh, intense, uh, what's the right word for it? Are you checking your email over there? No, I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I'm running right, the just PowerPoint. curious. <laughs> the PowerPoint machine. It actually works. Yeah, I'm checking email while you're talking. Exactly. So we went from this, you know, intense, I can't get enough of you. And and that's why you bring up the best in the other person, by the way, because during that period, you were saying to the other person, I can't get enough of you. And when someone's looking at you in a steady state saying, I can't get enough of you, 
I can't know you enough. I want to know more about you. What happens when you're in that kind of a state? You drop your guard. You feel secure. Your trust goes up. That, that's a, that makes you feel very secure. Secure enough to get married. But when you get pregnant, like, okay, so, so the average couple goes along, and now we're, okay, having a few little fights. We've got, you know, got to figure out how we're going to run this civilization and which way the toothpaste gets squeezed and all that stuff. And then often what happens after a baby is born is that her libido, her need for sex, absolutely crashes, sometimes during pregnancy but most usually for sure after pregnancy and sometimes for quite a while. And this is one of, those, one of those pet peeves of mine that the media does not show and is not taught to kids, you know, high school, college, in any sex education. There's nothing taught about a woman's libido. And it's, and it's the source of great hurt feelings and great misunderstanding and miscommunication later in a marriage. Because the woman's libido disappears for sure after a baby, if you're average, and she's confused, the husband's frustrated, the husband feels like he got a switch and bait, and they don't talk about it. Because why? Because in the media it says I'm supposed to drop a baby and, and be wanting to swing from the chandeliers in three weeks. I mean, that's, that's what you see if you watch movies. You're supposed to pop out babies and still be as you know, driven to have sex as you were when you were, were dating. And that's, that's not reality. Women, well, I'm getting way ahead of myself. No, you're, talk. you're good. Well, you know, there are women's libido, meaning their, our need for sex, our drive all by ourselves, is greatest, again, I'm talking about the average woman, is greatest when we're dating and when we are psychologically ready to make a baby. So biologically, a woman's libido will shoot way up. Some women will experience a rise in libido um, halfway, you know, two weeks before her period when she's the most fertile, um, which makes it really rough if you're trying to use, you know, NFP, because <laughs> that's really hard to resist because she might get a little friskier during that time without even understanding. It's just biology. NFP is natural Oh, family natural planning. family planning. But if you are, you know, um, so for most of the rest of the time, a woman's libido is a thing that she struggles with, feels guilty about. It's, it's a source of great misunderstanding. And couples don't talk about it. it. took us, what, 20 years into our marriage to talk about it and just have a frank talk. You talk about it, it's so much better, you know, because men feel loved when their wives want them sexually. This is a problem. This is a problem if the woman's need, personal need for sex, has diminished. Now we know why sex is one of the two things that people fight the most about. Anyway, I am getting way no, ahead of myself fine. on it. You know, we've mentioned, and we'll, we're going to keep coming back to this, that one of the important things to understand is the differences in physiology and emotional status of, between women and men. Uh, that in this area, women are, you know, the, the, the classic, and I should have this, but I don't, there's a, there's a sort of a classic <clears throat> image of the uh, woman's, uh, the, 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 the control center for women's, uh, a typical woman, especially married woman's sexual response, and it looks like the inside of the space shuttle. There's about 5,000 controls and dials and all this stuff. 
and the control center for the guy is like a switch. <laughs> you know, that's it. And, and again, now we're going to be generalizing and there are always exceptions and so just... But, but, but again, a more common scenario, as Terry said, is that the, generally speaking, men are more interested in this from... The, you know, they have a, a, a fairly stable level of interest starting from about the age of, you know, 10 or 11 until about four hours after they're dead. Okay, it just doesn't, it just doesn't stop. It just kind of stays pretty stable. Um, there are things that can affect it. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and whereas women will vary. So therefore, and this is, and, and we want to just set the stage, this is in settings where the couple has really done everything right. Where they've actually come to the wedding altar really, and they've done well in this area. What, one of the things we've got to deal with is that the there's a lot of things that can set the stage for trouble after the wedding, even aside from just the normal stuff that can, that can, go, that can happen. Um, we we want to just set up a reminder here that, that our culture, again, is, is sending a lot of, culture, a lot of messages that are, that, are, that are affecting, especially, well, younger people. You know, this, this is, you know, what we're concerned about in the culture at large, within the church, within the youth group, within the junior high and within the middle school and high school groups. What are the messages? Um, anything pretty much sexually is okay. Pretty much, almost. If nobody is, as long as nobody gets hurt or nobody gets pregnant, anything is okay. The message that uh, as long as you don't get pregnant, so therefore everybody, you know, sex ed is primarily condom-oriented. Put a condom on, know how to do a condom, 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 that's all you talk about, with, with, without any contextual background or thought about, well, what is the meaning of this act? What does this actually do? What's going on? We've got, uh, it's inevitable. And again, you'll see this in... It's very unusual to see a, a, a romance, a rom-com, a romantic comedy where the couple does not have uh, sexual contact sometime fairly early on. Because if you're, you know, if you like each other a lot, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna have a sexual encounter. Um, the the culture of of hookup, starting several years ago, really has has even made that worse because the the, the hookup culture in high school and college says you don't even have to have a relationship it's just it's just a complete physical encounter with no meaning at all and one of the things that is you know so well let me i'll get to that in a second but one last thing is if you don't if you're somebody who doesn't buy that idea there must be something wrong with you you're a religious fanatic you're a prude you're inhibited you're something is is the matter with you the sad part is that the, the physiology of the human body is such that sexual encounters, early on especially, and especially the very first ones, have a profound uh, physiological effect on both parties, but especially on women. Because her first time is, uh, there, there is a release of a, a hormone called oxytocin, which is, it, which is actually also released after birth, and it, it has, a, it has a, an effect of creating a tremendous bonding. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's this deep, it goes beyond words. It's a, it's a, it's a sense of bonding and trust with whatever that is. And, and after birth, it's meant it, God put it there for that to happen with the baby. Because as those of you, you, most, you all have kids, right? So you know that 
in the first, especially the first few weeks after baby's born, guess what? That baby has no interest in you at all. That baby has, is completely, gives nothing. You know, they cry, they sleep, they poop, they pee, and they cry again, and, they, and their cry has that nasty sound to it, that feeling, that accusatory sound, that newborn cry just makes you want to climb out the window, right? <laughs> There's a reason God made that. You know what that is? Because a newborn can't, has no other way to get adult attention. That's it. Newborn can't do a thing. Can't roll over, can't scratch where it itches, can't feed themselves. They are completely helpless. They've got one thing, one thing in their repertoire only. That's a cry. And that cry is nasty and irritating. And it will get adults' attention because they got, they'll do something to stop it. Now, hopefully they'll do the right thing to stop it. Pick the baby up, change the baby, feed the baby. But that, that is in there. So there is this need for something deep and powerful to say, I'm going to protect this. I'm going to, because this is not giving me much here. It's robbing my sleep. You know, it's, it's, this is hard. Most couples can't, I, you know, I can't believe we, we took our, we took Chad. You know, plays piano here. Okay. We had him like, you know, 13 months after we got married. And I'm a family practice resident. My wife is a very, you know, very loves kids. We were, we had, we had, it was like some, like you, you might as well just like somebody set off a time bomb or a bomb in our, in our place. We, we were so overwhelmed by this, by this newborn. I mean, what do we do? You know, all that stuff you go through, all that insecurity and they cry and they won't stop crying, of course, and you go through all that. So getting back to, sorry, that's a, that's a off. Track. Yes, yes, yes. I'm just listening. You're just listening to me. Yes, wondering where I'm going force to take nature this. Chad was back then. But getting back to that bonding. So when a woman bonds, in you know, this this thing comes out in an encounter where there's no commitment, there's no cherishing, there's no, mo- you know, most, you know. You, as much as a, as a teen couple may say, oh, I love you, I'm so in love, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, no, they're not. They don't get it. They're, they're excited, they're, they're horny, they're, that's the word I can't use in church. They're, 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 their hormones are raging, they, they're, they're intoxicated, they're, they're infatuated, they feel like they understand each other. But the fact is they're not prepared for the responsibilities of adult life and raising children and having that commitment and dealing with that and being with that person for, you know, 50 years. They're not ready for that. The bonding happens, though, and, the, and then when that thing breaks up, which it nearly always does, then there's confusion, and there's something that goes awry. And if that happens, you know, 10 times or 20 times, then there's more things that go wrong, and that sets up all kinds of tough dynamics for later on in the way that the marriage will go. So this is just, you know, just trying to get to the altar. Yeah, so, you know, I... Yeah. I mean, we, you know, before I knew about oxytocin and all that, I mean... That, that's a cool thing to kind of uh, physiologically explain it. I didn't know that before. I used to always say, you know, for a woman, a promise is made in every bed. <laughs> Meaning that for, for women, they, they, they've, they've got this release and it, it, it creates a, this, an emotional bond. So I, I, we worry about, you know, when you have sex before you're it's, we just feel like if you know the best place to have your first sexual encounters are in the context of the hard stuff of setting up your civilization. So let's let that hormone be released in the midst of. Let's have all that good stuff happening in the midst of. Which way do we squeeze the toothpaste and who's gonna, how we're going to pay these bills and, and all that? 
You have couples. Ideally, yeah. couples. You know, it, more than fifty percent of children are now born out of wedlock today in our country. That that has that's the statistic. Most most couples. You'll hear this. You'll hear this story. Like couple. I'll, you know. Oh, hey, I'm engaged. Oh, that's exciting. When are you getting married? Two years. Two years? What? What? What does that mean? That, that, can, that means two things. One of two things. Either they have no physical attraction to each other, or they're already having sex. Because to wait two years when you're at that level is, is not realistic. It ain't going to happen. And so one of the things that, that happens when a couple is getting their cart before their horse, and they're, and they're not confining their sex to their married life, is that the stuff, as Terry was saying, the bonding, the excitement, the fireworks, this emotionally powerful event is happening all before the marriage vows are given. And so there's no connection of that excitement to, as she said, to the, to the, the real reality of dealing with life as a married couple. And... I mean, God obviously has said very clearly how this is to go, how it's to go down. It's marriage first, then sex. Our culture rejects that in general. Our Christian culture is not doing well with that. I mean, our, our, I mean our, we say it, it's not happening like it should amidst this generation. I'm sorry to say that. I mean, I'm, I mean, No, it's true. It's like I counsel... Uh, Christian kids in their late 20s, all through their 30s that are single, and these are not rebels without a cause. I mean, these are kids that are going to church, and these are young adults that have bought in. They identify themselves as evangelical Christians, and they look at me and they go, yeah, that no sex before marriage, that's just not going to work. That just doesn't, in my tribe, that just doesn't, they just feel a little guilty, but at best. And that's the way it is. It's it's unbelievable. every, Every chance I get, I try to encourage this message and and I know we're in a room full of married couples so you I'm just going to pass this along and hoping that maybe you'll have an encounter with somebody who's not married that's thinking about this issue and you can maybe encourage them to wait to wait to wait to wait you have all the reasons you know I can go through the you know I can do the you know unintended pregnancy nothing you know an unintended pregnancy is a huge crisis a desired pregnancy is a huge massive blessing it's so incredible it's so when Chad and Erica announced that that Ella was coming, and they'd been married like three or four years. We said, "What's taking five? So but who's counting? five years? You know, <laughs> they, they, it's like <laughs> Terry was kind of trying to, you know, move this along. What giving her a sex you know, man. Come on, come on. What do you need? You know, they 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 got a dog. You know, a grand dog. That is not a grand dog. <laughs> you know, unintended pregnancy, infections. I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole, you know, horror of that situation. Uh, relational issues, the erosion of trust. When that, when, again, when that. Bonding and then ripping and bonding and ripping and there is a trust issue. Um, why should a woman trust a guy that's coming on to her? There's no, there's no reason to trust. The guy, if the guy's not willing to be committed, you don't trust him. You know, he's, he's in, he, I'm sorry, he, he's not, I don't care if he says he loves you, he's not. He's, he doesn't. Um, and then we're going to say, well, even if you do it by the book, we run into these issues. So just say, pass that along. Uh, preach it. Say it. I mean... It ought to be good enough that it says that way in the, in the scriptures, but we, we keep bumping into this. The more we teach this and the more couples we run into, it's so apparent that, that the biblical instruction manual makes sense. It actually works. It actually works with, to 
you know, we're fallen, we make mistakes, we're sinful, we have issues, all these things happen. But given all of that, the, the biblical model is the one that is going to create the most stability, the most, uh, uh, the most health, the most joy, the most trust, the most, all of those things that everybody wants in their romantic comedy thing. That's where it really actually happens. And that's where the big, long-standing, warm fire in the fireplace is going to stay lit for 50 years instead of the, you know, the fireworks that are in and out and gone in one minute. So, yeah. okay. So, one of the things we like to do, and we have taught this, a variation on this everywhere from here to Uganda. We have been to Uganda a few times, and it's interesting to teach in Uganda because culturally things are different. And you can't tell stories and anecdotes that work in Westlake Village and Nagora in Uganda. They don't work. And so, but the same things apply. And we have given these same, what we call news flashes for husbands and news flashes for wives about this subject. And they are true. So, what, and we always debate who should give what to whom. And, and I'm going to take husbands tonight. You're going to take husbands. In other words, this is women talking to men. When? This is what you need to know. And then women, I'm going to talk to you. I am a man, so I can tell you what men, your men would like you to know. Okay? Okay. So men, don't get too demoralized because your turn's coming with your Paul. Turn, okay, yeah, so. and yeah, don't, don't, don't despair on this one. Right. Okay, okay so the first thing um, that I was talking about a little while ago was understanding the seasons. Um, when Paul and I had our, our big encounter, finally, on this subject... It was for him to understand that I didn't need him sexually was a huge loss for him. It was a huge grief for him. When I finally was able to explain to him in a long way that wasn't with heated arguments the way my libido seasonal thing is, and that, I, it, and that my response was a response to being well-loved, but not to his sexual you know, prowess. Or, you know, it, that was like a loss, a real, a real grievous loss to him. So I would say to you husbands, first of all, it's like get your wife off the hook. Because most men I deal with have this expectation that is born out of the media that you see that if a woman loves you, she's going to want you. And that's a lie. I mean, want you sexually. I mean, that's, that's how most husbands feel. All the, the time. All the time. Yeah. Not, not that she won't at times. Not the, yeah, but hang on. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You're not going to leave without sex. I, <laughs> I promise. You guys you know, to be yeah, totally... hang on there. But, you know, I'm not saying, you know, stay Ever. with hope here. Stay with hope. But, it, but it's like that is the beginning of wisdom is to get that. This is how women are built. And for us to have that... For us to know that you have that expectation that if I love you, I'll want to jump your bones every night when you walk through the door is not the way it works. If you could just understand that, it would be the battle's half over right there. Um, It's not that we can't be sexually responsive, but that is not proof of our love for you. I hate to tell you this, but... As women age, you might hear them say things like, you know, I love my husband very much. 
uh, he's my best friend. Um, if he, for some reason, became a quadriplegic and, you know, we couldn't have sex, that'd, that'd be okay. For a man to hear a woman, his wife say that would be, is usually just devastating. So it's like, come back to earth and operate with earth women here. This is how earth women are. We don't have a driving need for sex. And it's, quit putting that on us. Quit measuring our love for you by how much we want you sexually. Now, it's quite another thing, and Paul will get to that when he's talking to the women, it's quite another thing to be hurt if you've explained to your wife how much this means to you, and there's no effort made to be generously, you know, to be generous in this area. Okay, then you have a right to feel not loved. But to, but to think that your wife is going to automatically be, have a, a uh, there's, a, there's a difference between a woman having a physical response, a physical need for sex, that libido, and, her, and a process that goes on in her head, which is very much a, a response to feeling well-loved. Most women in this room, if you're being honest, then you, something you husbands may never know, you know, if we know it's been that interval, let's say it's a week. That, that, you know, every couple has kind of an, an unspoken interval that after which it's too long, you know. And, and you know, if, if a woman knows, well, you know, it's been, yeah, it's kind of overdue, it's like she goes through a decision tree in her head. So he comes to the door and she's like, okay, dang, eight days, man, oh, man, oh, man. And then her thinking goes something like this. Either it goes, oh, my gosh, he got out there on Sunday and he tripped all those trees. It was so sweet of him. I've been asking him to do that and I really, that was really nice of him. I know he'd rather watch the game. That was really nice of him. And uh, yeah, he did this and he did that. And you know what? I think I love him. I think tonight's going to be the night. I'm going to do this. And then you kind of work into it, you know. Or the thinking goes something along the lines of, well, here he comes at day eight. I'm getting the signals here. And, uh, you know, those trees still aren't trimmed. Sat down on his little fanny, watched two football games on Sunday. Didn't offer to help me with the dinner when he knew I was overworked. I don't feel real well loved. I think he can wait another day. That's what I think. I mean, am I right, women? I mean, don't you kind of go through that kind of thinking when you know that your husband would like a little tonight, right? You, you, kind of, you kind of ask yourself, how well loved do I feel here? So, so the first thing is, like, you get, if you guys could just understand that what we respond to is what you gave us when you were first dating us. That complete knowledge that we're your first priority. That you're practically laying awake at night thinking about ways to make our life easier. You know who our favorite authors are. And so on birthdays and Christmas, look, here's the latest book by your favorite author. I saw you looking at that, at Crabtree and Evelyn. I got it for you. It, not that everything has to be a purchase. I mean, it could be, it, it's just when you are a student of your wife, that is what, when she's getting that decision tree, that is what 
that's what gives her this emotional response to want to join you in the bedroom and get the lingerie and do this, you know, and not in a begrudging way, but really do it because in all fairness, she feels well-loved. I always tell wives, if you get, your husband's get a good solid B, then, you know, get your act together here. Put a little effort into this. You know, your husbands do a lot of things they don't feel like doing, but they put effort into it because it's meaningful to you. So fair is fair. And, and, and with us, if we feel well-loved, it's like in the beginning, it's a, it's, a, it's a mental decision out of a response. And, and then sometimes we actually do get into it. And there is that, phys- that physiological response. And sometimes we don't. And that needs to be okay, too. Okay, so I'm spending way too long on that point. Uh, two was keep up with her thoughts and emotions, become a student of her interests and delights, honor her with your words. I'm working with a couple right now where, oh, I don't know, I think he may be Asperger's. It's like he, it's like he... Asperger's syndrome, that's a form of autism, yeah. okay? It's not, a, it's not an epithet, okay? I mean, he... he, he, he um, he doesn't know how to say a kind word to her. And, and then at the end of the night, he, he wants her just to strip and have sex. And it's like, yeah, hmm, uh, no. <laughs> no I, feel like, I feel like an unpaid hooker. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. Rom- romance me a little bit. Say kind words. No wife feels like crawling into lingerie when you haven't honored her with your words during the day. Um, Sex begins in the kitchen. Same kind of, I'm thinking of the same, the same guy. This woman is craving uh, touch, anything, any little touch, a friendly pat, anything, and he won't give it to her. And then he expects it just to be switched on suddenly. Um, you know, if, if we, I don't know how personal we can get, but I mean, if, if it's, let's just say very often, on a night that Paul gets lucky, it has usually started <laughs> with some, some pats in the kitchen, some fun, a little fun, a little playfulness, a little playfulness. Um, you know, we can't do like, you know, it's 9.30 and it's been eight days. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't, we can't do that. I mean, we, we will, but we'll resent it and you won't enjoy it very much. Um... Uh, why can't I get a little affection? Number six. The reason you can't get a little affection out of your wives, by the way, is because if you take an inch, you want a mile. And the reason for that is because your wives have you on such a horrible reinforcement schedule. Because men have two needs. Now I'm kind of talking to the wives. I'm cheating here. but You are. You know, men sort of have two levels of need as far as sex. One is a very physical uh, interval in which there is a very real need for a physical release. And that's the need, that's the level that most of us wives that have been married for a while see and kind of resent. And you sort of, wives can get into this thing like, well, what do you need me for? It's like, you just need your release, right? You know, it could be me, it could be, you know, whatever. It's like you're not wanting to make love to me. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a real level of need for men, and it was for us too. It, it, we women have experienced that level of sexual need, but we forget. We forget how, how sharp 
that need can be to have a release. The other level of need is that something that wives don't often see because, because that first level is not met often enough, and that's all we see. The second level is that, they, that deep need for being sexually connected with your wife, not any woman, my wife. I need to be connected with my wife. I need to be looking into my wife's eyes. And so, the, of course, the answer, I always tell couples, okay, because hu- husbands are usually dying for some physical affection. I've had couples come in where the husband says, okay, sex has been off the table for 18 months, but could we just get to the point where we could hold hands, anything? I'm starving. I'm starving for some physical affection, just some sign that she likes me. And, you know, it's like the wife might, but she's, now they, when you don't have sex often enough, then the woman can't touch you without you going from zero to 60, and then she feels guilty, so she figures, I can't do a playful touch because it's been too long. His physical need for release is too great. If I touch that button, it's like it's going to explode, and I don't have time for it right now. So if you can get your marriage, and I'm not saying, you know, if you haven't been, if, if this is a, a hard area in your marriage, then it's, it's certainly not something that's going to start tonight. But you get yourself worked around to where your marriage is functioning and there's some real intimacy in your marriage and the woman is feeling well-loved, then, you know, if, if you step up the level of interval, then you can get that playful touch. And the women like it too because we miss the playful touch too. It's fun being able to touch um, playfully and have it not lead to intercourse. We women like that. You guys do too. But the only way you can do that without going right straight to 60 is if you've had the release on a, in a timely way. Do you get what I'm saying? I feel like I'm t- in church. It's like I'm talking in roundabout ways here. But you get what I'm saying here? Okay, got it? All right. Um, number seven, check the flipping mirror. For Pete's sake, guys, God, if you've got underarm donor, you know, and you're... You know, you want us to dive in. It's like, really? It's like, check the mirror. You know, you get older, you get nose hairs and ear hairs, and it's like, that matters. And I know Paul's going to say the same thing to the women, too. I get it. Believe me. I'm just saying, I'm just talking to the men right now. Um, And number eight, what are your expectations? Um, Kind of going back to the beginning of my statements, most men have an expectation that if my wife, this is their reality, if my wife loves me, every encounter we have is going to be scraping, scrape me off the ceiling, scrape her off the ceiling, swing from the chandeliers, explosive, multiple orgasms. Really? On what planet does that happen? Cosmo. Yeah, Cosmo is where that happens. I mean, we're so horny, we're looking for 40, 75 more ways to drive you guys crazy. What? Magazine makes me so hostile. Oh, my gosh. Gah. Yes. Okay, so, um, you know, so, you know, think in terms of McDonald's, 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 Roy's, McDonald's, McDonald's, fast food, fast food, Roy's, you know, it's like... It, Roy's Hawaiian Fusion. Yeah, McDonald's. right. So you know what we're talking about. What I mean is, you guys, can Lowry. I just say it bluntly? You guys would have sex more often if quickies were okay. If we didn't have this huge expectation 
that we would be with you. I mean, there are times, you know, when we finally got this straightened out, oh my gosh, it was like such a burden off me because I didn't have to, you know, do any acting or pretend. It's like, okay, yeah, okay, I got five minutes and I'm timing you, go. And you have play, you know, you have fun with it. It's a little quickie. And then, you know, that's a way for a guy to up the interval so guys can have that pressure off. And, and then, but you can't have a diet of all McDonald's, right? So you have to make the time for the whole, you know, six-course meal once in a while, right? Okay. Okay. I'm getting not much feedback, so no, I'll let you get up. Oh, all right. Okay, okay. So in talking to the ladies, um, there are actually fewer things for you than there were for the men, and we'll talk about that in a minute too. But some of this comes out of um, observations we had. As, as Terry was giving, we were giving, actually the, the first time I heard her elaborate on some of the stuff was a room full of physicians and their wives. And, and their spouses. And their spouses, some because there were some... Because, you know, they allow women to go to medical school. I know, school I, know, now. I, know I know I always say that. Back in, the, back in the day, when I was a young resident, we had, you know... You know, 120 men and 10 women, okay? But now it's like 50-50. But, so it was, it was physicians and their spouses. And on this subject, which you would expect physicians to be fairly conversant about, boy, the room really got quiet. It got really, really quiet. And the, and the, and the women were all nodding, you know, as she's doing this. And the guys are dying. And I'm thinking, man, you know, because they're thinking, well, you know. And, and so we really needed to kind of make sure that women understand that this is a big deal to the husbands. It really is a big deal. And as Terry, I think she's really said it very well, this isn't just about physical release. There is a very powerful thing that happens to a husband when his wife is responsive in this area. And it is a feeling of, I can handle anything. I can conquer anything. I can deal with anything at work. It doesn't matter what financial issues we're having or whatever. But if this woman cares about me in this way and loves me this way, all is well. And you guys are simple. All is well. Uncomplicated. And, it's, and it's, it is a deeper thing than just the physical. It's a deep inner soul hunger that men have to be loved by this particular woman. It is Now, I don't know, there are guys that are, you know not like this or there are guys that have wandering eyeballs yeah, we're not talking about players I'm talking about I'm not talking about players guys that, that, that run around and have multiple affairs they really have a different problem they have a different issue they have a different uh, you know they're, 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 they're off plumb in a, in a lot of different ways they have issues in their life no seriously this is, this is a that, that person has got a whole different issue but the guy who's basically committed to his wife is not who is not like that, it means a lot. And, and um, one of the, we'll, in a minute, we'll flash up the cover of a, of a book. One of, the, one of the best talks I've heard on this uh, was a gal named uh, Julie Slattery. She used to be a co-host on Focus on the Family. And she's a psychologist, PhD. She, has a, she wrote a book called No More Headaches. And it was about, it was, it was really addressing women on this subject. And she, <laughs> in fact, part of the, part of the joke she had a joke to start the thing off. Um, guy walks, comes in late. Wife's already gone to bed. She's laying there, you know, and she's, her mouth's open. She's snoring. 
and, and he goes to the bathroom, gets an aspirin, and he, you know, comes over and drops it in her mouth. And she goes, blah, you know, blah, 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 you know, and she goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, you know, what do you put, that's an aspirin. Well, what did you put that in my mouth for? I don't have a headache. Great. But <laughs> um, So, yeah, so her point was, um, we have just spent some time, and, and we will continue to say this, men, yeah, you've got to get the picture that what happens in the kitchen, what happens through the day, what happens, how, how women are, how your wife is treated all day long, all the time, the 90, you know, all the other time that not sorry, matters in this thing. That's, that's how she's functioned. But if it's important for you to be disciplined in that area, so it is also important for women to understand that if this is a big deal, if this is an issue, if this is something that the guy really wants, that it's, that it's worth working on. It's worth putting forth some effort. It's worth being... And, and again, if the guy is... Again, we're not talking about if he's abusive, if he's... If he is... If he's... You know, if, if, if there's a lot of turmoil and, and harsh words, of course, you know, it, it's, it's unreasonable to expect a woman to respond to that without feeling like a prostitute or worse. At least the prostitute gets some money. And, you know, that doesn't happen in, in that type of setting. So, number one is, that, is how important this is. Number two is that he is, he is visually oriented. It is going to happen. He is going to be, he is going to look at you uh, in the nightgown or in the shower and get interested. And it, he can do that, and that's the way men are made. That's when they're, they're wired. They have this visual thing. They can, and, it's, and it's something for men, it takes a lot of discipline to rein that in. Because a guy can become visually interested sexually in a woman walking by. He doesn't know a thing about her. You know, she's just looking good. She's dressed and or not, maybe doesn't have much on or at the beach or whatever. And there's just a, a ka-ching in the, in the frontal cortex. And he's got about... No, I think it's much further back, actually. Well, whatever it is. It's probably, yeah, it's farther down. He's got about, a three, he's got about a two to three second interval to acknowledge that that is a good looking woman. Now at that you know, and at the, up to that two, end of that two or three seconds, he is still he is just that's just a retinal flashback to his brain, and and that's something that he acknowledges. As, now where he crosses the line biblically in his you know what he's doing with that is as soon as it's you know we're doing this okay, or we're 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 going beyond the three second rule, or deliberately looking or all that to think about that person as a sexual object. Okay, now we're, now we're out of bounds, biblically speaking. Why is that? Because that's a predatory attitude. Think about it. That's a predator. Predator looks at a woman he doesn't know and says, I'd like that. Well, who is that? That's somebody that, you know, maybe somebody else's wife or somebody else's daughter or somebody else's girlfriend or fiancé, and you're thinking that, that's what you'd like to do, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're a predator. And I think, you know, biblically, God says, I don't like that. That's not, and, you know... Don't get me started on, on what this world would look like if men stopped being predators. I mean, the way men... You know, in, fact, in fact, this finally has gotten all the way to the White House. I can't believe this is great. And I actually, this is one of the... You know, I'm, I'm, this is not a political statement. I am happy to, to see that there was a, a, a big summit and a speech and all this where at the presidential level there is a call for men to behave more appropriately to women because 
there is a huge problem on college campuses of sexual assaults. That's predatory behavior by men over women. There's also a huge problem in the military with this too. Now, part of me says, well, what did you expect? What did you think would happen? We've set up a culture where, where we've broken down all the moral values about sex and marriage, and now we throw men and women together with no boundaries. And, and we're shocked. And we're shocked when things go wrong with that. You know, what a surprise. However, I am, I'm encouraged to hear people finally starting to say, men, you know, it's really important for men to treat women properly, to respect their boundaries, to not assault them, to not, you know, to not do these terrible things. And if you could remove that activity in one community or one city or one state or one country or in the world, the world would look very, very different. I'm just telling you right now, the amount of trouble, I'm, I know this is a digression, but I've got to say it, the amount of trouble and heartache and problems and medical problems that come from men being predatory toward women sexually is enormous. It, is, it, is, it, is, it, it plays out all through life. It plays out medically. It plays out physiologically. It plays out in their marriage. And if I could just, you know, I just want to, you know, get in front of every young man and slap them around and say, Stop, you know, treat women with respect. Don't do these things. Anyway, how did I get to that? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's about the visual orientation. Hmm. So if he's visually oriented, he's visually oriented. And so he may respond to you visually when you're not quite ready. Don't, don't think he's a pig for that. That's the way he's wired. Third, um, he, uh, I, this is a repeat. He, just, he doesn't just want sex. He wants this relational thing to happen, this deep bond and connection. And can I even put it in a different way? You know, I know it's your turn to talk to the women, but it's like woman to woman. I mean, we, if, we, if we lose our drive and need for sex, we can easily begin to despise our husband's drive and need for sex. And that's what gets us into a lot of trouble, is, is uh, thinking of it as you've got this animal, you know, you demean it like, oh, you've got this animal urge, yuck, you know. How, what a pig, you know. Yeah. Uh, the next one is, is one that Terry has basically said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat it. If, if men were calling on men to put thought and effort into, and, it, and their responsibility to love their wives and to be thoughtful and, and cherish them and show them that they are the priority, huge deal. Therefore, it is also reasonable to ask women to, to look at and think about being more, to being generous in this area. Terry's already basically said it. Generosity is the is the term we use for it, uh, not to use it as a weapon, not to use it as a as a some kind of a um, a way of of um, punishment, which most women do. Okay, and then finally, uh, the uh, get your flirt on. In other words, it just like men love to you know have sex with their wives, but they also like to be flirted with. To have your to have your wife say something flirty in a in a like a text message. Or in some other way, oh my gosh, it's like, it's like, set your whole day. Uh, and, you know, because we're so, you know, we're burdened down with all the responsibilities and the kids and all the stuff and the bills and da-da-da that happen in real life, to, to bounce back a little bit, to have a little, to be flirted with. Yes, to initiate a sexual encounter, oh my gosh, the guy feel like he can't believe it, he's gone to heaven. I mean, it's like, you're going to, you know, you're, you walk in and, Kids are somewhere else, and the table's set, and the candles are there, and and looking pretty good. You know, I mean, that's like huge. 
it's it's worth it's it's I want to encourage that. It makes a deal. Makes a deal. Okay. So one more thing. So uh, the next slide is just a, just a little thought. Hey, why are there more exhortations for the men? Uh, if you look at your handout, there's like eight for guys and five for women. Well, and for for uh, yeah, it's 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 about Ephesians. It's, it's about this passage. Um, the main passage. The the most you know the the most. Uh, famous and 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 nuanced and deep passage in the New Testament about marriage. And what's interesting is in and the, the subtitle in the previous slide was uh, what we learned in Africa about Ephesians five. Well, what we learned in Africa was we went to teach in Uganda and and. You know, we can't tell our stories and we, we can't... They don't care if you're from Westlake Village or what degrees you got or whatever. Uh, and fortunately, we were working with, with mainly people who had some connection with church and, and scripture and were willing to believe that. And man, we had to... We, 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 you fall back right to Ephesians 5 to talk about marriage in a culture. And we found out that... We, we were reminded that Ephesians 5, which has taken a lot of heat in Western cultures because of the talk of, of roles in marriage and headship and submission and this stuff that creates all kinds of stuff that a firestorm but we, for, we lose sight of something that this, this passage is revolutionary in most parts of the world and is revolutionary in most times of the world it was absolutely revolutionary for the time that it was written in mm-hmm. because of how it looked at, this, at the responsibility of men toward women and basically the reason there are Eight for men and five for women is because in this passage, there's one paragraph that's fairly short for directed at the women and a whole lot of stuff that's way more demanding directed toward the men. Um, and believe me, when we taught this and we explained this in Africa, we thought we weren't sure whether we were going to you know, escape with our lives or whether they were going to get it. And they did. They got it. It was, it was, it was revolutionary because in, in their culture... And in ours, and in most cultures, the, the history is men dominate, men use, men exploit, men, you know, it, the women are objects, they're, they're, they're property, they're for their pleasure, they're for, you know, they're to do their work, and they're not to be cherished and lifted up. And this passage says just the opposite. So it talks about, yeah, wives submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, the husband, the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husbands and everything. This passage you can take apart and really spend a couple of hours on really what's going on here, but keep going. So then it goes on, and the, and the husband's part just goes on and on and on. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. Keep going. And in the same way, love your wives as your own bodies. Uh, no one ever hated his own body but they feed and care for their body as Christ does the church. Remember the body. You, this, this model of Christ laying his life down for his wife, his bride, the church, is not the model of male behavior in most cultures in most times. And to say, I am going to sacrifice myself, I'm going to sacrifice myself as Christ did for us, for my wife, to care for her, to meet her needs, to, to help her... Uh, and, and yeah, wait a minute. When we start talking to the African guys about, oh, you know what? You got to help with the kids. Ah, that's not what they, you know, that was a no-no. Uh, or, 
and yet we got some. We got some interested in doing that. Uh, that that was important. They need to be fathers, you know, uh, and so on and so on. But the point is, and, they, and, and it goes on. There's another paragraph. There's three paragraphs directed to the men. So the men do have, ultimately, the bigger responsibility in this passage. And I think in the marriage. It is their job to cherish and love the wife and to take the lead and in, in being loving and sacrificial. It's not what, we're, what it's not what we tend to do. It's not what's in our DNA. It's what in our sinful nature. It's not how people tend to behave. And we can only do it really through God's power, through the Holy Spirit, because this is a day-by-day-by-day thing. To, to say, I'm going to give away some of my freedom. I'm going to give away some of my rights. I'm going to give away things that I would like to do in order to help this other person or to be for this other person is not something we do intuitively and, and we have to be bringing this to God every day and getting his power to do that. Okay. And by the way, in case you've never heard this, if you do a word study on that word first, submit, it is, which, you know, I always used to hate this passage so much. But, but now um, you don't. No, I don't, because if you do a word study, the, the connotation there is a joyful, uh, voluntary submitting. It's not a forced submission. It's a voluntary. Why is it voluntary and joyful? Because we are well-loved. There's not a wife in this room that won't nod her head when I say, it's really easy. It's really easy to trust if we're being well-loved. I only fight for my rights when I'm not feeling well-loved. And I do this stupid thing. You know, you're not going to tell me. You're not the boss of me. You know, so. Now, we only have a few more minutes. We've been talking about a normal situation. We're talking about... uh, you know, there are, there are, there are how, how even a normal situation can lead to some, some, a lot of misunderstanding and hurt feelings and sex. Now you put on top of that some things like early sexual abuse. That is, early sexual abuse has a profound effect, especially on the woman. I, I say that only because I work more with female early sexual uh, you know, abuse survivors. Um, it, it, I just not, don't know as much about males. Uh, it's, the, the effect is, is horrendous. Um, for a, a girl to be used sexually, um, she, she, I was abused sexually as a, a young girl. And, and about, about the time you hit puberty, you go one of two directions when you've been abused. You either completely separate yourself off from the world of men and you, and you become asexual. More likely, you become hypersexual. Because you figure, by that point, you figure, if my worth is based on my sexual utility, I'm at least going to take the power. And the implications of that in a marriage is that when a woman has been using sex as a power base for a long time, it's usually extremely hard for her to actually have an orgasm while, while having intercourse. Because you have to be in your parasympathetic, or sympathetic, your parasympathetic nervous system where you're deeply relaxed, deeply unguarded. And that can't happen if, you've been, if sex has been a weapon, if sex has been your, your barter. Um, your source of barter, it, then you can never relax. And certainly you can't trust. It's really difficult. So a lot of women have trouble, you know, uh, and that, that, that is like can be a lifelong 
thing. And so if there's been early sexual abuse, you know, that can have some play out. And, and those have to be talked out with the couple. Because if a wife can't orgasm during intercourse, and about 25% of women surveyed say they can't at all, another 50% say it's sporadic. That's 75%. That's a lot. But according to Cosmo... It's every time, bingo. You know, right spot, and it just doesn't work that way. It's not. It doesn't work that way. So those have to be talked through because if the expectation is my wife loves me, she's going to have an orgasm, that puts tremendous expectation. Then the wife starts faking because we got to get this over with. Because oh my gosh, you know, you're going to go for another hour. Ah, You know, so that leads to problems. Um, Negative messages about sex. Kids that grew up in a Christian home. Um, or not. I have, I'm working with a guy, 50, never been able to marry. He uh, uh, divorced, parent, parents divorced, raised by mom. Mom was a, f- uh, you know, just went from one guy to another. I mean, she just had guys overnight all the time. It's a very, it was a very, very negative, uh, really has screwed him up sexually to, to watch that, you know, the whole time he was growing up. Um, sex outside of marriage, and we've, I think we covered that a lot you know, earlier in our talk, so I won't um, say a whole lot about that. Um, abortion, one in four women, used to be the stat, I don't know if that still holds true, about one in four women in America have experienced an abortion. That's a lot of women. When you have experienced an abortion, um, whether you've disclosed that to your partner or not, um, that has some real implications for sexual performance, that's when you can start getting into painful intercourse, clenching, fear of pregnancy, this stuff that is all subconscious that you, you don't, you know, it can just get very, very, very convoluted. And then there's also a lot of physiological and medical issues. No, we're saying delaying marriage until adulthood. Did you want to mention Pardon? that? Delaying, uh, we, I missed one, delaying marriage until later in adulthood. There's a lot of issues with getting married as an older adult. and uh, Oh, 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 that's, that's what that was about. Right. That was what that was about. It, um, uh, little, you know, the uh, Christian boy and girl get married, you know, and they've never had sex, and then they expect it to all flip on and work on the wedding night. It doesn't quite work that way. And also for adults that uh, have delayed marriage, as people are these days, if you're really... Uh, working hard to shut down your libido, it can be a big problem when you get married to get that started up again. So I think that's why that was in there. Okay. And we we don't have time to get into all of the... This is just a quick flyby, but just a reminder that when there are often... There can be sexual issues in terms of lack of desire or lack of response or lack of things working that can have multiple uh, reasons, physiological and medical. Um, There can be things like uh, physical discomfort with intercourse. Uh, men can have erectile dysfunction. Now, of course, we've got ads for that all over television. But that's actually the fact that we have something to treat that with is, is actually a huge breakthrough for many guys um, that I see in the office. It's not just ads on TV. Uh, there, for a long time, there was really nothing available to help with that. So that's, 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 that's good if the guy is having trouble with that. Hormonal issues, both in women and men. Sometimes for women, it has to do with uh, that can be, they're, they're, they tend to be more complicated. Men can have uh, loss of testosterone, especially later in life, that can affect their sexual function. And, by uh, the way, I, I don't know if we've mentioned, you did a quick mention, but also in every group we talk to, there's usually one couple where the woman has a higher sex drive than the guy. And that, that, that's an unfortunate... 
Yeah, that presents problems. And that's a that's a, often a more complicated problem that has to do with, with things that happen in his life. It may be physiological, but it may be more likely more emotional, relational, and, and things from his past. Um, medications, many medications affect sexuality. Uh, and a lot of the antidepressants will, will change, uh, will reduce... Uh, either the interest in sex or the response uh, to sex, both in men and women, and that's important to discuss uh, with the physician uh, and to be, you know, to be candid about um, bad habits. Oh, I'm thinking of alcohol and tobacco. Uh, smokers um, really can have both alcohol and tobacco can adversely affect uh, sex drive. Not to mention just the the health effects, and also, of course, if somebody's alcohol addicted and behaving badly, that really does not create a lot of uh, well-being in the family. Uh, anxiety and depression, uh, you know, very often one of the, one of the, one of the uh, presenting complaints in, in depression is lack of interest in sex. Again, for, for, again, more for women than men, but it can be for men also. It's, ah, I don't care. Um, and then more, uh, you know, a whole raft of relational and emotional issues can get into this. Obviously, the general temperature of the marriage, if it's poor, it's going to be hard for sex to be a very uh, satisfying experience. Especially for the woman. Stress uh, will, will alter that. Especially for um, the woman. Privacy. I, this is a... Especially the woman. Yeah. Again, yes, like we said, the guy's interest tends to be, you know, uh, just pretty stable. But, but women being more affected by these things. Uh, privacy. Crock-pot. Crock what's yeah. that? Crock-pot. We're crock-pots. crock pot. I had a guy one time come in, and he was really having trouble uh, in this area. And after a lot of time spent, we figured out that they had no privacy. They had kids all over the house, and they were busting in on them every time. And, and he was so scared they were going to get busted in on that, that he couldn't perform. And the, the treatment for them was to get away for the weekend. And they <laughs> were away at the bed and breakfast, and everything was just Jim Dandy. And that was, boy, that just cured a whole lot of anxiety on his part because he thought maybe he was falling apart. But um, yeah, you got to have privacy. It's, it's, and, you know, some, you know, I won't get, I won't touch this one too hard, but like there's a school of parenting that says, oh, yeah, your kids should share your bed with you. Uh, the family bed idea. Uh, there's a whole school of thought that says, you know, the baby should be in the bed with you and, oh, let them stay until they're, you know, 14 or whatever or five. Well, you know, you, it's hard to have privacy when you've got kids in your bed. And I always say, do not let your kids sleep in the bed with you unless you are both really on board with that idea. And, but well, it's, it's usually the woman that wants the, It's usually the one, yeah. woman that wants them in there, the guy, because yeah. the guy. And, Here's and, my shield, the child. I'm sorry, and that's when I just say, get them out of the bedroom. Get those kids out of your bedroom. I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm in that school of thought. I think that kids... We're not talking about newborns. We're not talking about newborn necessarily for the first few weeks. Sometimes it's just easier for the woman to have that little baby, that little tiny one in the room. That's different. But you have a three or a four or five-year-old is sleeping with you regularly, crawling to bed with you, out, out of here. here. Yeah. <laughs> that, has, that has to do with the, with the priority thing in the marriage. Marriage priority, that includes your bedroom. Okay. Lack of margin. I want to say something about pornography real quickly um, because it's so prevalent. I, I, I not pointing any fingers, but I just I'm sorry. Even in a room, you know, with this small of a crowd, you know, there's someone in here that's that's using. It's too easy. It's too easy to access. It's too easy. And we're in my field. There's a lot of study going on research right now because what we're finding is that um, people who regularly have orgasm 
to pornography are having a difficult time having orgasm with a real person. And that's a direct, I think, you know, that's the aftermath of having such pornography on such an easy availability. Infidelity in its aftermath. Boy, nothing, what's really funny, when I see a couple like right after an infidelity, man, it's like weird. It's like he gets a lot of sex right after and then he gets cut off. It's just this weird thing because she's trying to like, you know, get him back in. It's like she's really libidinous because we're back in that dating thing. I want you. I'm trying to claim you. And then, of course, we get into the real work <laughs> where it's, you know, really affects it. But, yeah, it's all huge, huge, you know, break in trust. Oh, we do have low libido in the husband right. on here. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So a couple, just a, a few thoughts on, you know, so how do we get this back on track and if there's an issue. And, you know... We say pray without ceasing because, yeah, it's, these are so complicated. Sometimes there's some, sometimes areas of such depth and, and past things and things that haven't been revealed and, and difficulties that are often beyond easy reach of conversations within your own home or even in the therapist's office and praying about it. Yeah, it's not just a... That's, that's, and we say go to the thin space and that's a little thing we took home from Uganda because in Uganda there's not a lot of resources. There's not police and fire and counselors and 911 and emergency rooms and things like that. And if you have something that goes wrong, uh, you are, you're, the, 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 there's a very thin space between that problem and God because there's not all those other resources. And so the thin space is where you, you take, those, those people pray for everything because they have to. Because that's, they, they are so dependent on God in a very shoe-leather way that, it's, that to be prayed over by a room full of Ugandan past, pastors is one of the most profoundly transformative experiences you'll ever have. Because these guys really live it every day. Go to the thin space, we call it. Um, work on the other 99% of the marriage. Because, again, this is where things happen. And then... Um, Rule out the physiological or medical factors. Yeah, there's often a need to go to a, a, a trusted family physician or internist and gynecologist who can, and hopefully will have the time. And by the way, don't let it, don't do the doorknob sign. The doorknob, we just, we just talked about the doorknob sign. Um, guy comes in, got a sore throat, uh, his, and his toe hurts, and you go through all that, and you're about to leave, and your hand's on the doorknob, and the guy says, by the way, can I have some samples of Viagra? That's what he wanted. That's what he came for. And you're about to leave. And it takes some time to talk about the Viagra. You can't just do that in a second. So it's okay to come in to the doc. You know, doctors, most doctors are willing to talk about this. Um, but the physiological stuff needs to be looked at. And then why don't you talk about this one? This is well, Paul, Paul asked me if someone, if someone comes in to talk about this issue, what do you, what do, you do with them? And, and actually, I really do start with the other 99% of the marriage first because uh, I always tell them, hey, but sex is going to be one of the last things to be added back in. I know that's what you came for, but yeah, we've got to fix all this other stuff first. And, you know, what is that? That, that may be individual work, couples work, communication, um, hard work. Did I mention hard work? Uh, you know, dressing all the guilt and shame, all your early messages. What is, you know, what is the meaning of sex? Having them talk about it just for the first time, creating a roadmap of, of past losses and, and sexual messages and abuse and, and everything that has to do with sex that's, that's happened to you and that's sent you messages, um, all the, the non or extramarital sex. Um, and just really what I do is just get couples to start talking to each other, maybe probably for the first time, about this issue. 
Yep, and the, the, that is, you know, we said that at the beginning, this is hard to talk about. And talking candidly and carefully about what is working and what isn't, this is huge. Uh, for a couple to, for a guy or a woman to say, you know, I really, it, it's always best to start with, I really liked what you, what you liked. I really liked it when you did this. This really meant a lot. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. To say, wow, that was really bad, that's not a good thing. Yeah. And learning to, to, to be gentle in that conversation as far as what is and, and, and what in, is it. in closing, I, I would just like to encourage you, like if, if this is becoming or has become or is solidly a problem in your marriage, um, most people I work with have just operated like Paul and I did for way, 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 way too long. I had, we just didn't talk about it. We just, I had decided it was, a, it was an unsolvable problem that just had to be kind of accommodated around and it would there's just no way I couldn't fix me I was very a lot of sexual experiences before we got married because of my early sexual abuse Paul was had no sexual experience because he had made that decision imagine the problems we had in that area and then get pregnant right away I was hot to trot, you know, when we first got together, like all young, beautiful women are, and I wasn't so much afterwards, and all my junk came out. So I was, I just want to encourage you that if we can work this out, anybody can work it out. Seriously. This issue can be worked out in your marriage, and it is worth it. It's worth it. It's the greatest it's such an important glue. It's such an important coming together in your marriage. To avoid talking about it is to diminish the marriage. All right. So let's, let me close in prayer. And if you want to uh, ask questions either privately or here, I mean, it's, it is 745. Ask Scott. Ask Scott. Any exactly. questions? Do you have any Scott. questions? Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for those who have come. We pray. But your Holy Spirit will, will work on the marriages uh, in this church, those that are here, others that are uh, out and about, either helping with kids or doing other things. And um, Father, we lift up families as the core, the, 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 the unit that you created, the way in which you propagate life and the gospel and uh, humanity, the human race, you invented this. You invented sex. You invented marriage. Father, we, we want to honor that. And we want to ask your blessing and fruitfulness on those who are here and in this church who are living out this enactment, this reenactment of your love for us, your love for us as the church. Um, we give it to you. We thank you for this. And we thank you for uh, giving us this time together in your son's name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much.